Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative, and this is the Rundown with Rob and Rich, our uh, Friday walkthrough, uh, all the latest news, rumors, gossip, uh, happenings going on in the mortgage industry. And each week, I am pleased to be joined by my co-host, Rob Crisman. Rob, good to see you again. Or, or every other week, as the case may be, but good to see you too, Rich. And where's Waldo? For those that might have missed it, you're in Montana this week. You're like, what, 10% of the population uh, right now representing? The, uh, <laughs> I, think the, I think the state motto is, uh, don't tell me what to do in, <laughs> in Montana. It's uh, very, very libertarian, shall we say. Love it. Good to see you, Rob. And once again, joined in the co-host seat, uh, TMC fan favorite, the co-founder of Equilibrium Solutions, uh, also the EVP lending for Quick Mortgage Solutions, our good friend, Paul Campbell. Paul, great code. Hey, thank you very much, Rich. Always a pleasure being with you too. I can't get enough of, you know, hanging out with you. Uh, Looking forward to today's rundown for sure. And Paul is, we love having Paul on because one, he's a really smart guy and always wears really trendy clothes. Uh, but two, he owns a mortgage company and he owns a fulfillment services company. So he brings a very unique perspective, uh, the background on Paul and Equilibrium. Uh, we met Paul some years ago. He joined as a lender member at Quick Mortgage Solutions and you know, not the most like uh, boisterous, like, bragging guy. Uh, did, didn't even mention to me at the time that he was starting a fulfillment services company. I found it out from members of ours that we we're talking about fulfillment services. It was starting to get really busy, and we we're asking our members who they're using. They're well, we're using Paul's company, Equilibrium. I'm like Paul Campbell, our member. They're like, yeah, they do a great job. So I'm like Paul, let's get Equilibrium on board here with TMC and. Equilibrium Solutions was like one of the MVPs of the TMC network last year with all the crazy volume and members and our lenders just really unable to, to process it. So thank you for that. And thanks for joining us again this week. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's nothing better than TMC. When Nishif Parikh, the owner of Quick Mortgage and I, we sat down and we, we were invited to TMC to come to an event. We thought, wow, what a great place. What a super environment. You know, what great people. And then to be able to, you know, bring, introduce Equilibrium as a service for the IMB community, that was just huge for us as well. Uh, when you consider the refinance boom that we just went through in 2020, I mean, the best year ever. And for us to be able to assist so many of our partners out there who were in total need, I, it was just special to us, truly special. It's awesome. I mean, you know, if, if every vendor could be run by somebody that owns a mortgage company, it seems like the, the mortgage industry would operate a lot more seamlessly. Can we figure that out? I think we should. I think we should because we feel it, right? When volumes are high and there's a strain, we feel that. When volumes reduce and, you know, then that margin compression, so to speak, that we're talking about, may talk about today, kind of creeps in. We feel that too. And, and we see the reaction in the marketplace where today, maybe some of our friends out there are considering reducing staff, which, you know, sounds a bit rough, but equilibrium's here for you. And tomorrow, when, when you want to expand staff and you think, well, I better be careful, that's cool too, because Equilibrium's there for you. And some of my better friends or some of my best friends out in the marketplace, they thought, let's go to Equilibrium and not increase staffing so we don't have to reduce staffing. Because we know as IMBs, we want to be loyal to our team members. 
And we do a great job of that. And that's why we watch out and look out in the marketplace. And we're, we're better at predicting, I think, because people just aren't, you know, a commodity for us. They're, they're, they're our loved ones. They're our brothers or sisters, our friends. Um, they're folks that we want to take on the journey with us. So that's kind of what Equilibrium and Quick Mortgage are about for sure. That's awesome. And uh, if anybody wants to learn more about Equilibrium and get a hold of me, uh, you can get a hold of Paul. They're on our website and they do a great job for the network. And yeah, certainly just the chatter amongst our members. I don't think uh, a lot haven't started reducing staff yet, but it is one of the top of mind issues for lenders as we go into, you know, uh, volume's still good, but, you know, we'll get into all that in a little bit here. So <clears throat> let's go ahead and get into it. And uh, Rob, I'll start with you because I'm contractually obligated to. The There's a lot of weird stuff going on right now with this recovery, the reopen, uh, the financial markets are really, there's there's like a, a crux of thoughts here. The, uh, the, the stock market, the bond market, uh, you know, a couple different camps, you know, the, you have the impediments that were caused by the pandemic, some of the supply side stuff, the fear of inflation. And then you have a recovery that is clearly on. Things are opening up. Uh, unemployment is down. People are spending more money. Uh, and it all has big implications, obviously, with the housing market and the mortgage industry. What do you make of all this? This inflation versus no inflation, taper versus non-taper. Where are you personally at with all this as we get into the heart of spring here? Yikes, Rich. <clears throat> you, you, you summed everything up. You, you, you saved me a lot of breath there. Um, I will say, uh, well, first of all, we should, we should make clear that you're not under contractual obligation to uh, have me utter one word. <laughs> uh, but the, it is interesting what's going on. And I think that everybody on the call probably senses it. I mean, you just, you just feel this current. It's not even an undercurrent. You feel a current of of the economy coming back and, um, you know, here in Montana, you know, masks, some of the, some of the stores and restaurants have signs up and some of them don't, uh, some of them taking them down. Uh, you just have this, this feeling, like I said, it's a current, it's not an undercurrent, but a current of, of, of money out there and recovery. And I think the, when you talk about tapering, I think you're talking about, the Federal Reserve, the New York uh, desk of the Federal Reserve going out and buying assets every day, uh, five days a week, you know, 52 weeks a year, which they've been doing to the tune of a couple trillion since this began. I think the, the only entity that isn't talking about tapering is the Federal Reserve itself. Everybody has the sense that at some point the economy is, is, is straining in its harness and the Federal Reserve will one of their one of their tools that they put in place wisely so back uh, over a year ago were the asset purchases to help keep rates low, and I think that that is easily one of the tools that they will remove as we move forward through the year. But they aren't talking about it yet. In fact, they deny um, you know even even discussing it really. Um, but but certainly that's one of the things they're going to do. And, you know, the last time that happened was with Ben Bernanke and the markets had a taper tantrum. But now I think it's pretty well priced into the market. The feeling among so many of economists is that our economy will start to pick up steam. 
whether that's through the employment situation. And a quick aside, something, something I think uh, viewers should keep in mind is that uh, the more and more we move forward here, the more and more it becomes apparent that it isn't, the economy is not being held back by a lack of jobs. It's being held back by a lack of people wanting to work in those jobs, unfortunately. And uh, I think that uh, you can go walk down any main street in any place in the United States and, and you'll see a, a huge number of help wanted signs. And people are having trouble um, filling those roles. There's a, there's a, a, a very well-known restaurant that I know of that just shuttered its lunch operations because they couldn't find the people to work the lunch, the lunch shift. And I think that's happening in a lot of different places. It's just very difficult to find people. I know that Bank of America just raised or just announced that they were going to raise their minimum wage to $25 an hour by 2025, which was a catchy thing to say. But when you talk about wages and, and increasing wages and having trouble finding workers, that inevitably leads to a conversation about inflation. And of course, inflation erodes anybody who has uh, income based on fixed income or uh, fixed rate securities, because if the uh, security that you own is earning two or 3% and the inflation rate is two or 3%, you're not really gaining much ground. So if we get into a situation where you have wage inflation, that can easily lead to an increased inflation. It's very difficult for the Fed. And, you know, the Fed has continued to talk about a target rate of inflation. And, you know, one of the Fed's uh, reasons for existing is to lend stability to the economy. It's difficult for them to gauge inflation or to control inflation. You have lumber up, you know, hitting, hitting all-time highs. You've got copper, you've got iron ore, you've got a lot of commodities that are hitting these high points. Well, the Fed doesn't control the price of lumber or the price of copper. Uh, the Fed monitors, or monitors them very closely, but they don't control them. And so the Fed is, is, is watching all that very carefully. The inflation is certainly picking up. We see it in the housing market. You talk about the price of housing. Holy smokes. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy out there what, uh, what is still going on. And you've got millions of millennials uh, in their prime home buying age and millions of them turning 30, for example, every year. And you've got builders building, you know, one and a half to two million units a year on an annualized basis. It just can't, qu can't quite keep up with the demand, the demographic demand. So the housing inflation is expected to continue. Some of the commodity uh, inflation is expected to continue. And that tends to spill over in a lot of areas that we're dealing with. You go to a restaurant, you go to buy, you know, Big Mac or, you know, a steak and, and you think, holy smokes, you know, a year ago, the price for fettuccine Alfredo was $12 and now it's up to 18 or 20. What, what happened? So there, there is inflation that we are experiencing in many areas. Um, and that inevitably leads to, to continued inflation and so forth. So hopefully we don't get carried away We nobody wants to see anybody carting around wheelbarrows full of dollar bills to pay for a loaf of bread. I don't think we'll get there yet. The Fed, the Fed will, you know, may have taken their foot off the gas here a little bit. They haven't put their foot on the brake yet. But yeah, it's a very interesting time to be a lender because lenders are have been hearing about higher rates for quite some time all year, basically. 
they hit the ground running here in 2021 uh, with full pipelines. Uh, business is still very good. When I talk to lenders around the nation, you know, business is still very good. Although some lenders are starting to have cutbacks, personnel cutbacks because of uh, volumes dipping a little bit or margins getting a little tougher to uh, to deal with. So, yeah, it's an interesting time to be a lender and dealing with all these currents that are out there. But you know, as you've heard me say before on this call. Uh, a lot of lenders are, are, they have their eyes on the horizon, but really when it comes down to the day-to-day, they're continuing to help borrowers one borrower at a time and, and are really focused on finding programs and products to help individual borrowers while all this is swirling around um, outside of their walls. So yeah, and it, always an interesting time to be a lender. Absolutely. Uh, the one thing that shocked me is uh, like the CPI number last week, it was way, way, way higher than anybody was expecting. Um, you know, I've never before seen the bond market shake off bad infl- accelerated inflation numbers like it is now. I've never seen anything like this. Normally, any even remote hint of inflation causes the bond market to sell off, mortgage rates to rise accordingly. And uh, any thoughts on that dynamic that we have going on right now? You know, I was really looking at the bond market, looking at the looking at the 10 year, you know, and, and saying what's going on as well. And you see that yield curve, it, it kind of it's it's hanging in there. It'll start off a little bit shaky and then it'll just get back to kind of normal uh, where it was and where it has been. And you're looking at rates and rates are really staying low and you're looking at housing prices and they're totally appreciating um, at a rapid rate. And, and you, you kind of to Rob's point. If you look at what's going on with the government and tapering, quantitative easing, I, I don't think we can super step off the gas. We need to see what's going on in the economy with regard to the pandemic. We're certainly approved, improving in the United States. But again, to Rob's point, there's so many opportunities for employment. Employers are out there, but there aren't enough people to fill those jobs. So when you look at the bond markets, it, it's hanging in there. It, it just can't run away and rates go up, I don't think, at this point in time. Um, and it's being really reflective of that. You talk about the CPI numbers, you talk about uh, just seeing what's going on with the stock market, and it just really hasn't changed that much. So it, it's very promising. And I, I think we're in for a pretty low interest rate market, at least throughout this quarter and the next quarter. We'll see what happens there. But all you can do is be in the moment. Um, somebody would have told me that a $2 trillion market was going to be, you know, a cause for alarm three years ago, two years ago, I'd have been like, are you kidding me? You know what I mean? So we, we do, we are living in the best of all worlds right now. And we'll see what happens as the pandemic continues to move forward or yeah, Rich, we move out of it. To, 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 sorry, Paul, to, to Rich's point, when, you know, I think anybody on this call, if you were to hand them, you know, a billion dollars, uh, and pretend everybody on the call is a fund manager and they've got money to invest because so many people uh, last year, they were saving money. They weren't going out and spending money. So they may have invested in mutual funds wherever. If you're a mutual fund manager and you have a billion dollars, where am I going to put it? What am I going to do? <clears throat> am I going to go buy you know, German bonds or Japanese bonds or am I going to keep it here in the, in the U.S. economy? And obviously a fair chunk of change is staying in our nation in that whether it's treasury securities, municipal bond securities, 
mortgage-backed securities. And so the demand continues to be strong for the securities in this country, which drives up the price and keeps rates low. So the, the choices for fund managers to deploy capital right now arguably is somewhat limited. So a lot of money is going into treasuries and a lot of money is going into fixed income securities. And so, like I said, that tends to keep the prices up and the, and the rates a little bit low. And so Rich, to your point about CPI and the PPI and the weekly jobless claims and so forth, some of these numbers come out and you think, if I had known that number, you know, 10 minutes in advance, this is what I would have done with my, you know, life savings. And then by the end of the day, you would have been wrong because the market just kind of settles back down. And to your point, it almost shrugs off some of this economic news because the pandemic is still controlling the economy and, and some kind of recovery is priced into yields right now. And, you know, we're continuing to chug along. This is The Rundown with Rob and Rich. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative, uh, joined as I am uh, every other week uh, by Rob Crisman. And this week, uh, special guest host, Paul Campbell, the co-founder of Equilibrium Solutions and uh, EVP of Lending for Quick Mortgage Solutions. And yeah, I think you're right. And, and I think to me, part of the reason that mortgage bonds have continued to perform so well uh, keeping rates very low. One, obviously, is the Fed is a heavy buyer, but they're not the whole market. But I think another part of it, too, is home values. I think if you're an investor and you want to buy a safe fixed income instrument, um, you know, buying mortgage bonds right now, obviously, non-pandemic delinquency is very low. Technology has played a huge role increasing the quality of loans. And then you have values going up. So if you're a mortgage bond buyer, one of your big risks is loans not paying, going into default. Um, if that happens now, you're, it's not like 08, where you're going to have the safety net of equity in those non-performing loans um, that will that makes the investment even more attractive. And um, I had Kevin Pranio was my co-host for the last week of Mortgage Today, the show I do on Tuesdays and real smart guy, I value his opinion a lot. And we're talking about this a little bit. He's like, listen, home values aren't, are going up for like two years and forget about it. Like they're not, and they're, I don't think there's going to be a correction that you might get a leveling off. Um, and because it's just really at some point math, there's not enough new supply coming out of the market. People that may want to sell their home still have to buy a new one. Um, and there's so much demand on the demand side. Paul is somebody that owns, uh, a fulfillment services company and also part owner of a mortgage company. How do you view the value piece of it? Are you looking at it the same way Kevin is where we got about a couple of year run of value, home value appreciation still out of us? I actually do. I, I don't see housing prices going down. They may slow down, but I, I think because of the demand, you see all the millennials out there, they're looking for homes. And so I think the prices are going to stay where they are. Um, people have money. Um, as you said, we've been sitting on money throughout the pandemic and there's a place, you know, run to safety. So I don't see anytime soon where housing values will depreciate. I do see them continuing to appreciate. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It may slow as rates tip up a little bit, but there's too much demand in the marketplace. And I have no fear whatsoever of of a, of a recessionary kind of deflation where you saw before, like you said, no eight and everything just kind of imploded. I don't see that happening at all. There's too many other positive um, 
indicators in a three-legged stool economy. And I just don't see mortgage falling off. The latest MBA projections, they just revised them. I think 3.3 trillion is the projection they're at now. Last year was a record year, a little over 3.8 trillion. So they're projecting 2021 to be one of the best years in the history of mortgage lending. Uh, they revised up a little their purchase uh, projection. I think they're projecting purchases to be up about 16.5% from last year. Mm-hmm. Projecting refis to be down a third from last year, but really projecting them to fall off pretty dramatically uh, starting in Q3, which is apps lenders are taking right now. Rob, what's your general sense on how 2021 is going to play out? If you had the MBAs at 3.3 trillion last year was 3.8. If you had to throw a dart at a number, what would you what would you predict right now for the year in total originations? I'd probably be I'd probably be fine with that. I, you know, whether it was uh, Jay Brinkman or Mike Frattantoni, the the MBA is uh, first off notoriously uh, wrong with their estimates, uh, but B notoriously good about revising those estimates and and teasing themselves about their old estimates. So, with three point three, you know, a little fall off is probably likely. Uh, you have borrowers who have refi burnout. <clears throat> you have uh, people who uh, aren't refinancing at all. You have people, but but you have people who have bought, bought with cash, and mm-hmm. so the in, in an appreciating market. So, you know, we kind of uh, discounted the cash out refi market, but really, if you are a uh, family and you want to buy an RV or you want, you know, rather than get a college loan, you want to tap into the equity in your home. And I'm not, I'm not a fan at all of, of using houses as, as piggy banks that tends to get people in trouble. But nonetheless, I think people are looking at cash out of the cash out refi business uh, with a new, uh, you know, with a new look. Uh, they are looking at uh, HELOCs uh, that are being offered out there. Banks offer some pretty attractive products and so the, the lending industry is very nimble. It's, it's smart and it'll figure out a way and, and sure business is going to be down. And then you start talking about, gee, what about, you know, the, the value of servicing? Uh, because so many lenders were adding servicing a year ago when the servicing market went to hell in a handbasket, for lack of a better term. But a lot of companies added servicing, uh, both conventional servicing and Gini servicing, and as the year went on, uh, it's been interesting to watch the Ginny servicing, what the Ginny servicing has done versus the Fannie Freddie servicing, because a lot of people whose credit improved may have moved from an FHA loan into a conventional loan and so paid off that FHA loan. So the Ginny servicing story has been interesting. But like I said, a lot of companies have added servicing that tends to serve as a balance sheet cushion against any increase in rates and any drop in in production volumes. And so I think many companies are pretty well prepared for 2021. And as I mentioned, you know, the industry hit the ground running. They had full pipelines as we entered the first quarter of this year. And, you know, a lot of lenders are still out there and a lot of them are busy, especially banks, commercial, you know, depository banks. So, People are busy out there, and um, you know, 2021 should be overall a good year. 
I see things tailing off toward the end of the year. And as I said, I've heard of some companies laying off uh, people that they may have hired in 2020, but I think they're pretty quick to do that. And I'm, I was going to ask Paul, actually, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not asking for numbers, Paul, or, or wanting you to necessarily divulge any company secrets or so forth. But do you get the sense that, that you and your competitors are primed for uh, potential cutbacks, uh, you know, cost cutting measures and so forth. I know everybody's added a lot of technology and that tends to help, but what about personnel, Paul? How are you, how are you managing that on the lender side? Besides you know, using you, equilibrium. We're using equilibrium. Uh, and you know, but what's unique about that is when I look at equilibrium, a lot of our customers, we're going deeper into their, uh, I'd say their wallet or their process. So I have a, you'll have a customer that's post-closing QC. Next thing you know, that post-closing QC wants a pre-closing QC. They want to set up. So we're starting to expand in our customers. And the same thing at Quick. I mean, when, when I look at business at Quick, we're, we're kind of being nimble. Like you said, we're looking at different models, right? And I think a lot of us competitors out there, we're putting together a competition, uh, competition matrix out there, competitive matrix. And we're seeing that, you know, the wholesale lending business could be viable for us long as we stay local. Uh, we're looking at the consumer direct business and it's been great for us and it continues to be great for us. And we can take, you know, college graduates, young people and, and put them in an opportunity to where they can earn a living. And that's what we're doing. I mean, we're being nimble. We're looking down the road and we're trying to see what we can do to make 2022 better because we did have a full pipeline coming into Q1 and we're still doing well through Q2. So we figured we hustle, get some more boots on the street in Q3 then we can finish up 2021 as our second best year ever, right? And then we can head into 2022 with a headwind or a tailwind pushing us along. And I think that our strategic initiatives will carry us through and create an opportunity where we can be very, very solid going into the future. It's this this industry, Rich. It's sometimes you you wonder, you know, if you if you sometimes you look at a plane flying overhead and you think, how the heck does that stay in the air? You know, how do, how does a plane work? How does that fly? And sometimes I look at this industry, some and and look at these lenders, and wonder how are these companies making money? How is it that we as an industry continue along? You know, how come all the business hasn't gone to depository banks or credit unions? You know, how are these independent mortgage banks continuing to prosper? How are they doing so well? And obviously, um, you know, they're, they're, they're smart and uh, they can keep costs low. And that's their sole focus. They are there oftentimes in the local communities to help borrowers. They work, work on referrals. Uh, and so they are, are very good at what they do. And so... It's not so much looking at an airplane, wondering how the heck that flies, or looking at a, you know, a, a independent mortgage bank, wondering, you know, the warehouse line is expensive, and LOs are making a million bucks a year, or whatever. How does that? How does that company stay in business? Because they're very good at what they do, and the business is out there if they want to get it, if they want to hustle. So, the only thing that's consistent with the mortgage industry is change. You know, I, I think. 
Um, you had big changes in the interest rate climate going back a lot of years. And then ever since like 05, when, you know, things started to get batty and then obviously everything that happened in 07 and 08, we've been an industry of constant change, regulation, technology, different presidential administrations, the compliance, uh, you know, framework of our industry. And to me, change always spawns opportunity. And I think that's why you've seen some of these big shifts in the mortgage industry. It was the big money center banks, too big to fail, going into the mortgage meltdown. And, you know, and then you had, you know, in the years after that, independent mortgage banks have picked up a lot of market share as uh, technology and borrower experience has become a much bigger part of it. And uh, and I think right now, you know, we're in another time of change in the industry as this next level tech starts to work its way in the industry, you've got independent mortgage banks continuing to take market share. A lot of these big ones going public. You got a lot of noise that we haven't really seen before in the wholesale channel. And, you know, and I think that, again, change spawns opportunity. The one difference I'm hearing from our members right now, because times are very good right now, we're coming off of a record year. The MBA just came out and projected that this year would be one of the best years in the history of the industry. Margins are compressing, but are still healthy. But our members have a totally different mindset. They are very defensive right now. They are waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, I think they hope, and in some cases think, like we do, that this industry and this year is going to be a good one for them. But they also know that every single time we've thought something was pretty certain, like right now we're saying, oh, rates should be low for a couple of years and values are going to go up. Never happens. Never. <laughs> Anytime I sit there and feel reasonably confident about the way the mortgage industry is going to look a year from now, something totally batshit crazy happens and, and it's completely different. So our members right now, they have their eye on the ball. The, the, they remember the winner of 18 and 19 when things were so bad. I cannot tell you how many of them went at our winter conference in February 2019 said, I, I cannot believe I did not get rid of people six months ago because I have just been paying the piper since and now I've got to do it this winter. So I think our members are laser focused on understanding their business, who their good and bad performers are, optimizing their tech. The second that the industry takes some unexpected turn for the worse and less volume, they're ready to, to drop the hammer and uh, and be very, very vigilant in how they run their business. Paul, uh, how, how is your, how does, what, what is your mindset on that? I'm sure, I mean, fulfillment service, if I was running a mortgage company right now, I would have a good fulfillment partner lined up and ready to go because of it's just more efficient. And last year, so many lenders got caught with their pants down. They wanted to get signed up with a fulfillment service. And they just, it's like trying to get lumber right now. If you needed to find a good fulfillment partner in the fall last year. Yeah, I, you know, and it feels just like that. I mean, we were tapped out, too, as an industry in the fulfillment services. You know, I think we at one point in time, it felt like we hired all of India, right, on the offshore platform. And certainly the same thing was happening here in the U.S. But in, and right now, partnering with a good fulfillment services company, I think, is, is a part of the cure, right, as we go forward into 2022. Another thing, you know, I would remind everyone, too, is I stepped into the industry around 1991. And I stepped into a, a, a really good company. I'll leave it at that. But the, the CEO would say, chairman of the board, president would say, you know, you got to have some fire in the belly to be in this industry. You got to be able to withstand the changes in this industry. 
And you got to do the, the things that make it better. So adding on technology, getting some bots rolling through your LOS and POS, um, fortifying your, your uh, platform for making sure your CRM is working really well so you can get out there and start those campaigns and reach out to your customers and get that referral base going and that retention base going. I, you know, 37%, I think is retention is just knowing the numbers and just being sharp and, and just being dedicated to what we do. And that's doing mortgage loans, get out there and start door knocking with the realtors again, if that's what you do, um, be better at honing in your data on your list. If consumer direct is what you're about. Uh, whatever you do though, put the customer first. And I think you'll be all right. Would the customer want you to struggle? Want to be in a struggle with with your organization if your fulfillment wasn't right? No. Would they want to be in a struggle with your organization if you didn't talk to them? You know, utilizing technology that they understand and can appreciate? No. Um, if if you don't make the process cumbersome for the customer, then it'll be great for you going forward. But it's definitely going to take you know fire in the belly and utilizing and leveraging all of the resources available in the marketplace, such as outsourced fulfillment, bots in your system, and just having a really good understanding. I mean, the tech conference was not too long ago and the, the wares that are out there, the opportunity that's out there to leverage technology today, it's awesome, but you got to understand it. And that's the tough part, right? Yep. This is The Rundown with Rob and Rich. I'm Rich Swabinski with The Mortgage Collaborative, joined as always by Rob Crisman. This week, special guest co-host, Paul Campbell, co-founder of Equilibrium Solutions, also Quick Mortgage. And uh, I've also been hearing from some members, going back to the, the dark winter of 1819, that was really a brutal one for the industry. We had a lot of people that went, that was when the mortgage broker kind of movement started. Uh, mortgage bankers were really struggling. Just a lot of small businesses got bought or went under. A lot of people, the become a mortgage broker and cut your cost down to nothing and just be your own little tiny company really resonated with people. Hearing from our members now, the opposite, that they're starting to get momentum on recruiting mortgage brokers to come back to be bankers. Some big time mortgage brokers that saw how much some independent mortgage bank business owners made last year. Uh, really uh, had some alert, starting to see some momentum back to the banker side. Rob, what are you hearing and seeing the broker versus banker debate and kind of market share battle in general? So I'm hearing that as well. The When I talk to hiring managers uh, about the broker to banker question, what are, what's going on with the, with the MLO, the loan originator, it's an interesting discussion because the it's almost as if the first question is, what what was your purchase business like in in 2020? This refis were were plentiful, but what was your purchase business like? And I know uh, Tom Lamalfa, who is uh, uh, an industry icon in terms of uh, some of the surveys that he puts out, some of the information that he said. And a Clevelander, a Clevelander, by the way, just for the really? yeah. Absolutely. I um, anyway, Tom, I think Tom's latest survey of executives showed that 38% uh, expect a decline in, in refis. And so when you're a hiring manager uh, talking to, say, a broker who wants to go back to the mortgage banking side of things, the first question is, what, what was your purchase business like in 2020? Uh, you know, show me what what you have in terms of 
going out and being able to get that business. And to Paul's point, you know, what, you know, sure, sure, you might be a good person, but what kind of technology skills do you have? What kind of technology are you using now? And as a broker, you know, how do we know that you're just not going to leave at the next upswing in, in the broker business and, and go back to being a mortgage broker? But there are good originators, whether they're mortgage brokers, whether they are mortgage bankers, they're good at what they do. Uh, and so sometimes the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And you have people who, uh, because of the ease, uh, and I won't speak you know, United Wholesale, for example, has done a, a magnificent job of helping people set up their own broker shops. And then they get the people that person might get there, they might succeed, or they might think, you know, this is pretty tough. Uh, I want, you know, a, a big company behind me, I want to be part of something much larger than, you know, a three person shop here uh, in the strip mall, I want to open up a branch, I want to be you know, I want to be a manager and and be part of an organization. So, yeah, I'm I'm seeing people move back, Rich, to some extent. But I think those people might be really good at, at what they do, no matter what kind of entity they work for. Paul, broker versus banker, your thoughts on the debate right now? <clears throat> you know, I'm thinking that I see a lot of really good brokers out there, and I don't think they'll change as the tide changes because that's what they do. Um, they're they're embedded in their communities. They, they have a good book of business with regard to purchases and refinances. Uh, but there has been a lot of folks that have kind of trended out, right? Left uh, institutions, larger institutions going out on their own. And I think they're looking back now and saying, you know, I want that marketing paid for, or I want the, the best technology that's in the marketplace. And I don't want to have to manage any overhead. So you will see, I think we'll, we'll see a flight towards, you know, coming back to the IMB, coming back to, to the mortgage side of the industry, bank side of the industry as well. But I, I don't, those that are out there that are mortgage brokers that are doing a great job, I don't see them changing their mind at all. I think they'll stay there. They love the independence. They're doing a good job. That's where they'll be. And those that jumped out there kind of just to test the water, I think the flight will come back towards, you know, a home base to where, a lot of their needs are taken care of so that they can just focus on originating and sometimes get leads too. This is the rundown with Robin Rich. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative, joined by Rob Crisman and this week, Equilibrium Solutions co-founder, Paul Campbell. We've got about five minutes left. Uh, some other things out there, uh, a lot of focus right now, lenders, fair lending, making sure they have systems, processes, procedures in place to be ready for whatever is coming from the new version of the CFPB. Obviously, all the changes, Rob, we've been talking about with the agencies and uh, FHFA. And I know you and Paul and I were batting around uh, a piece that Calabria wrote, really laying out his mindset um, and you know, his mission statement in his mind uh, as head of the FHFA. Uh, anything in there? What are you hearing from your readers, Rob? Anything else uh, that uh, uh, that has been emerging as, as an issue for the people that you're interacting with? Any crazy predictions for the year? Give, give us some breaking news here or something. <laughs> crazy news. Uh, crazy compliance news. That That narrows it down. Actually, compliance isn't too crazy. I think that what I am hearing is a lot of lenders out there who have beefed up their compliance departments and their QC departments 
and are doing things as they should be. And regardless of, of what the CFPB is up to, they are handling consumer complaints in a much more methodical way than they were five or 10 years ago. They are, uh, you know, they just have their eyes on compliance and companies who haven't beefed up that part of their organization, I think do so at their own danger. So in terms of compliance, yeah, whether it's, um, you know, the CFPB or the plethora of state organizations, state regulatory bodies that seem to enter the picture uh, for so many lenders out there, it's just, it's just a matter of doing, going through the process and dealing with it and the cost of business. And I know so a lot of the changes that we've seen in recent years were taking place some years ago, but now I think a lot of companies are taking that in stride and they've, they've, they, they treat it as a cost of doing business and they're, they're okay with it. I think that the CFPB uh, is going to have its hands full with other uh, uh, entities, other companies within the financial service sector, other than residential lending, because we've really cleaned up our act. We need, to the payday lend- we need a big payday lending scandal, you know, exactly. to get attention off the mortgage industry. We're doing great right now. Very compliant, right. you know. Pawn shops. <laughs> when was the last time somebody from a pawn shop, you know, company got sent to prison? Uh, <laughs> but no, the I'd, I'd say from what I can tell, the lenders that are out there uh, are doing a very good job and in handling consumer complaints and dealing with that. And consumers are always going to complain about something, but it's making sure that you have a policy and a procedure in place, a written policy and procedure in place. And so many lenders do now that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not the, there's not the big fear factor, but definitely the, the tide has changed a little bit with the new administration. Back mm-hmm. in my lending days, I used to always call my head of compliance, like my left tackle, you know, like protect, protect the blind side. Uh, you got to have a good, left tackle if you want to be a good NFL football team. Uh, Paul, quick mortgage. You got a left good left tackle? Kyle Palmer is, you know, our staff attorney, and he does an excellent job. He keeps us fully abreast of what's going on. You know, you look at Illinois and there are no CRA laws where, you know, you got to be careful. Community Reinvestment Act and just making sure that we're doing the right thing in the LMI markets. And, and then you turn around and look, like you said, uh, or you kind of alluded to a payday lender, but look out, you know, in your servicing departments, make sure that your debt collection practices are on point. Um, just, you know, everybody needs to, do, we just need to make sure that we're, we're just doing the right thing. And I think we, we really adjusted as, you know, a community, the mortgage lending community. We, we really do. I mean, there's always some outliers, but we do a good job on a day-to-day basis. I'm really proud of our community, but we definitely have Kyle Palmer. He definitely does a great job. I can't say his name enough. Well, you just said it like six times. So kudos to Kyle Palmer. Yeah. So we can't end <laughs> on compliance, though. Any, any, you know, weekend plans, funny jokes, anything uh, uplifting to uh, take us into the weekend, uh, Rob? Why don't we start with Paul? Paul? That's right. Sticking. You, with you, always, you always put it on me, Rob. I'm just, you know, it's. You know, this weekend's going to be a great weekend. I'm going to go out there and try to find a gift for my wife. Her birthday's coming up, you know, it's a, and that's always a time to, you know, reflect birthdays and celebrate. So I'm going to go do something fabulous for her. And so hopefully she'll give me a big hug and a kiss on her birthday. There you go. 
Awesome. Well, that's a good uplifting way to uh, take us into the weekend. And as always, love the conversation. Rob, thanks again for joining us. You bet. And Paul, I can't wait to see you in person in a few months here at Tyrannia. If you haven't registered for TMC Summer Conference, mortgagecollaborative.com. We've already got a ridiculous number of registered people. It's going to be so fun. Can't wait to see you. Uh, Thank you for all you do for our network as a lender member, Quick Mortgage, and all that Equilibrium Solutions did for our members last year on the fulfillment side were a true uh, savior for so many of our members last year. Appreciate you greatly, brother. You are too kind. Thank you, sir. Awesome. And to our attendees, thanks again for joining us. I know you have lots of uh, video and audio options now to get your humor and uh, mortgage knowledge and news. We do this every other Friday. We're thinking about maybe taking this weekly. My events team is telling me, Rob, that we got to do this live in Terrania during the Tuesday lunch live rundown with Rob and Rich during the lunch session. So unfortunately, uh, for some of you out there, we're not going anywhere. We'll keep uh, doing this on Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 Pacific. And of course, you can always check us out on our YouTube page or uh, on our podcast network as well. Just Google TMC on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can listen that way as well. Until then, have a great weekend, everyone. Take care. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.